0: The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the Starquest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today on the panel are Patrick Mason. Hello, Pat. Hello, Thomas. And Jeff Hecker. Hey there, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle Earth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Pocket Cast, which is the podcast player I use now that Google Podcasts is going away. Or any, you can use any of your podcast apps or players of choice. And you can follow the show on the StarQuest YouTube channel. And please do us a favor by sharing the secrets of Middle-earth with your friends. You can follow us on social media at facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia or on Twitter slash X where we are at SQPN or on Instagram where we are at StarQuest Network. And don't forget that you can get your own official Secrets of Middle-earth merch, including our awesome t-shirt with all the races of Middle-earth at sqpn.com slash merch it's a great way to support the show and to show your love for Tolkien and his wonderful legendarium now uh Jeff before we get started you uh put some news in our script here we have news on a couple of different Tolkien fronts right
1: yeah well just a couple things that that we I think someone actually put this in the discord so I'm not claiming it but the uh there's a, a I guess it's an updated version or an a, a compilation history of Middle Earth or a new, a new edition, I guess new edition. Uh, yeah. Coming out. Um, from what I could see, it looks like it's coming out in the UK in December of this year and the, and the U S in uh, next year. So I'm not sure. I think it's a January maybe for the U S version, but um, cause I guess it's, I didn't realize this, but it's Christopher Tolkien's uh, 100th uh, would have been his 100th birthday next year. So, Oh, Okay. Uh, obviously he passed away a couple of years ago, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think I saw that. And so someone had put that in the discord so that if, you know, if you're interested in Tolkien, and kind of getting more into it, that's, you know, getting a, getting a new set of the books could be a good a way to get in. I've not read it really any of those. So something I might have to check out myself.
0: I've only just dipped my toes into the history of middle earth. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting these sets because some of them are hard to find. Actually, so what, I'm glad what, that they're putting them out. What's in those? I guess
2: is my question.
0: A lot of it is earlier versions of things that are in the Silmarillion, like, and that are some of them are radically different. Um, uh, kind of, and also similar to things like you would find in Unfinished Tales. You know, stories that haven't been finished yet. The the one that I read was volume 12, The Peoples of Middle-Earth, because that has the new shadow in it, mm, which okay. was his unfinished sequel. And yep. it really, that's all of what I've read and not much else. Yeah, because
2: like there's that, there's the unfinished tales, there's the lost tales, there's the... Right,
1: the lost Three tales Versus. is
0: part of the history of Middle-Earth. Oh, okay. That's gotcha. part of it, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, uh, so from what I'm looking at, um, it looks like that it's gonna be in a couple different box sets actually. So it looks like yeah. the first set that's coming out in December in the UK is Silmarillion, Unfinished Tales, and then Book of Lost Tales, part one and part two is what's coming out. And and then the same thing in the US. So Oh, well, they're putting if- the
0: Silmarillion with it. Ooh, I guess at least
1: at least in this version which is the, okay. from the uh from Harper Collins I believe is the okay. publisher in in this case um yeah UK is Harper Collins and the US is William Morrow so for anyone who knows who gets more into the publishing geek side, and I think the UK versions are also like the classic covers and the I can I can send the link and we can put that in the show notes for anyone interested right yeah yeah, and then and then I scroll down further and it box set number two is Lays of Valerian, Shaping a Middle Earth, Lost Road and Other Writings. And that's coming in March. So there's and then and then more beyond next year. So Right. Yeah, so if, uh yeah, I've not really read any of those myself. Um so I'm I'd be interested to kind of
0: get more into those uh, as we go along. And then there was like a bit of Rings of Power news, right? Including like yeah. I remember in our in our Slack channel. Caitlin was saying that we might have a tentative release date.
1: Well, yeah, she was saying it looks like this September of 24. And I, I trust her on that because she's she knows uh, has more inside information than I do. Um, the only thing I saw that I of note was that there was there's rumors of a big elven battle. And a lot of people are speculating it could be the founding of Rivendell or like a battle that kind of leads to Elrond uh, founding Rivendell. That so, makes sense. So that Shouldn't, was the only that yeah. was kind of the only news I saw. I'm sure there's like there, I mean, she her her document had a lot more information, but uh that that's kind of what I saw as far as like news goes. So
2: Yeah, I want to say the strike uh I don't know if it's just the screen actor skill, but one of the strikes ended. Well, they're um, both ended
1: now. They're okay. Okay. both ended now. Yeah. yeah the writer strike ended in the the screen actor guild, but I think this, I think the filming had already been done prior to the strike. It's mostly like post-production now, but ha- or I don't think it was the, the, the actor strike affected it, but they might've pushed things back because of the shifting release dates and such. So,
0: right. Or they couldn't do reshoots or something. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah.
2: You know, it kind of makes sense from a release standpoint because Amazon released um or is in the process of releasing the wheels of time uh season yeah, 2.
1: It just yeah, that ended just a couple week ago or so, a yeah. couple weeks ago.
2: And then the boys will probably be their summer or sorry, their winter um release and then into the summer and then circle back around to
0: Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. So, uh Pat, we would like to officially welcome you to the show. I mean, you've technically recorded with us before, but that is a special episode that won't be released until the future. Uh, from from this episode but uh yeah no uh uh pat yeah i'm sure regular sqpn listeners recognize you but for those who are unfamiliar uh why don't you just you know introduce yourself say you know just a little bit about yourself and and how you came to uh discover tolkien and his world um, sure. Yeah. I'm Pat. Um, Catholic, obviously.
2: Uh, I, um, I have a wife and, and a couple of children. I live in uh, the DFW area. Um, I work in the, the power 100%. industry. Yeah. <laughs> Deep in the Republic of Texas. Um, I work at a power plant. I have worked at, um, three or four power plants now in my life. I used to work at nuclear plants. And that was fun but very regulatory heavy and I work mm. in the, the non-nuclear side which is just a lot more fun in my opinion but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know sort of discovered SQPN the way a lot of people did via Jimmy Akin and discovered the other shows and eventually got invited and I think the first one I was on was Star Wars so right. I sort of moved from that into movies and TV and now I'm over here on Middle Earth which is awesome so it's funny enough because that's like, out of the those three, Middle Earth was probably the one I was introduced to first um, as a kid. My uh, stepfather really loved um, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books. And he would, that was sort of like our bedtime reading. Like, the, me and my stepsisters would all get in, you know, in bed or, you know, in their room. And then I'd, afterwards, I'd go to my room. But he would read a passage out of, you know, one of the books or so. Um, he did pretty decently with the voices. He wouldn't sing, which was sad. Like when I read the books to my kids now, I sing <laughs> ah. <laughs> when we get to the songs. Um, because I think that's more fun. But um, it's sort of like it. It kind of it stilled in me this concept of like worlds and and like the whole the the written genre sort of kind of opened up to me from um the Lord of the Rings series and like just how much there was to it and I can remember very distinctly while I was reading to my daughter we started the Lord of the Rings and she started asking questions like well, what does that name mean and where does that come from and it's like oh there's and you could just see like her face like light up there's oh there's there's like a whole bunch of other stories behind this aren't there and I'm like yes yes <laughs> <laughs> Good, good. Yeah. good. <laughs> so but it the the middle earth has always had a very special place in my heart because it's sort of the first it was the first world i ever discovered you know beyond my own um mm. at least in the you know in in literature and so um i've always i love it i come back to it i probably reread the Lord of the Rings every five years or so and the Hobbit, you know, right now I'm doing it with my kids. So it's, it's sort of easier. Like there's a reason <laughs> <But> <laughs> even without the reason I'll, I'll do it and I'll listen to it on my own. And I have, I think I have two or three different audiobook versions as well as the audio drama that the BBC did. I, I have that on tape, like cassette tape, <laughs> and this cool wooden box that it came in. I, I can't remember where I found that, but yeah. So yeah, I've always been a fan as long as I can remember.
0: So you you were already you know well aware of it by the time the Peter Jackson movies are coming out.
2: Oh yes, oh yeah, that's cool. Because
0: yeah. I sort of discovered it around that time.
2: Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, no, like me, me and my high school friends would like we would watch the movie in the theaters and then we'd spend like four or five hours afterwards at Steak and Shake debating like <laughs> what they did well and what they didn't do well nice. and what was <laughs> what was good and what was bad. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I know when I did discover it at around that time, it turned my whole conception of like what was possible in like sci-fi fantasy literature, just upside down, you know, which is what it it like. It opened up like a whole new world to me. Yeah. Which is really cool. And speaking of like whole new worlds today, we are talking about the, the creation of the world in Middle Earth. And I kind of want to explain why, because you, you our listeners may remember that from last episode, we announced that we were going to record an episode on the Council of Elrond for December, and we still might do that. But because of scheduling conflicts, you know, we we had to alter our plans a bit. But that's OK, because it as we were talking on our sort of private channel, we decided to kind of we were talking about like, oh, maybe we should do like the different battles that are in the Silmarillion. Right. And then I was just I I think, Pat, you you brought that up. Yeah, or, and, originally. I love the <laughs> and then I was like, well, wait a minute. Why, why don't we just do the, the Silmarillion like a couple of chapters at a time? Because I know that a lot now that the Rings of Power have come out, like a lot of people are actually kind of realizing for the first time that there's more stuff besides like casual fans are realizing that there's more stuff besides just the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And so who have kind of been, you know, introduced to this idea that there's earlier ages and stuff, you know, things that are kind of just hinted at in, in the rings of power and are done, you know, for, for better or worse, we're, we're seeing some of it, but um, (laughs) I think that, um, you know, it would be just cool to kind of like go through the Silmarillion as we wait for the rings of power to come out. And don't worry folks, we're we're not going to be doing this every episode. I've I've decided that we should kind of stagger it and, you know, alternate it with different topics. But it's cool because like hopefully it'll kind of get us back into a buy, you know, a, a twice a month release schedule, hopefully, you know, and before Rings of Power eventually comes out and then we'll be doing this every week as the episodes come out.
1: Just as long as we do, you know, multiple episodes on Valerian and its realms
0: oh Duh. no <laughs> the, the realms of valariat the, yeah, the, the geography chapter yeah. no
1: yeah <laughs> i don't know see
2: if you take a left this stream <laughs> you go over the ford
0: <laughs> the right yeah
2: <laughs> wait 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 which age are we in now oh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> but but yeah so you know i i've heard many people say you know they'd like to start reading the silmarillion bar but are intimidated by it. And so it'd be cool to kind of give people to do this initiative where, like, you know, we do these deep dives into the different chapters. And and before we start though, I want to shout out again our friend and fellow pa- panelist Caitlin Fasista, because her website, Tolkien.com has some terrific Silmarillion resources for beginners. And we'll we'll put this in the show notes. It's Tolkien, a dot com slash Silmarillion. There's a free reader's guide, blog entries, a reading schedule, all kinds of great stuff. Because, yeah, you know, the Silmarillion does intimidate people. You know, it, it, it it's similar to the way I think people are intimidated by the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's basically the Elvish Bible. So <laughs> it, it, it is a little bit of um, intimidating for people. And, but actually I didn't even put this in my notes, but I should probably ask you guys what, when did either of you discover or how did you discover the Silmarillion? What about you, Jeff? So I
1: was probably at least aware of it when I read Lord of the Rings. And cause I, I read Lord of the Rings in high school or early high school, right? Right around when the movies were coming out. I, I believe I read them all, read the trilogy before the movies came out. Um, and so I would knew there was more detail. I don't, but I don't think I read the Silmarillion until maybe three or four years later. I I remember reading it in college and not really understanding much of
0: it. <laughs> um, Same. Yeah.
1: I liked it and it was, it was like interesting to read, but just there, it's very, it can be very dense. And so, and I was approaching it like, like any other novel, like let's just, you know, read, read it from start to finish and, and I'm more of a I think I've said before, like when I read, I'm I have a hard time focusing on the details. I like I want to see what happens in the story. And so like I'll sometimes skim a little bit, um, which is not something you want to do with this really with any <laughs> token, but especially this because it's it can be so dense. But, but yeah, I read it. Uh, I read it then. And then a couple of years ago, which kind of like led to me being on this podcast is like on another discord. We started doing a, a book club of the Silmarillion and we do like a section a week and it, it it was a two or three month process to read the whole thing. Um but like reading it slowly and then and I've listened to other podcasts since and I think uh to uh, going back to Caitlin, I think she has a podcast on her own site about uh discussing it as well. I'm I'm right, not, yeah. I'm not sure. But doing that kind of got me back into um got me into reading the Silverin and, and like I've and having read it like I felt really well-prepared for rings of power um, and uh, you know, like knowing what was the context for it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I've read it. I, I want to say I've read it twice now. Um, and I, I do, I sh- I'm probably do for a reread at this point. I, and I guess I have to, now that we're doing, a, doing this, this discussion. So or these discussions, so, but yeah, um, yeah, I've read it probably twice, but and I've like, it always leaves me down. A, like the, I said before, this stuff always leads me down a rabbit hole. Like there's a term I look up and it's like the battle of something or other, this like sword or something. I'm like, Ooh, what's that? And like, I go and I'm, then I'm 30 minutes into reading, (laughs) reading on a, on a Tolkien rabbit hole. So yeah, good times.
0: What about you, Pat? You, so you discovered, you know, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings when you were younger. What about the Silmarillion? So I, I believe
2: I read the Silmarillion in high school. I think I came Um, so, you know, I listened, basically I listened to those books, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit younger. And then eventually I started reading on my own and eventually I got to the point, where I could reread this. Uh, and I did, and I'm like, I just sort of discovered how enjoyable it was to read on my own. Um, and from that I was in this, it was in the phase of like when, when I read a book from somebody, typically I was like, well, I'm going to read everything they've ever written. And uh, I'd done that with a couple authors at that point. And so I was like, why don't I do this with Tolkien? And so then I went and picked up Silmarillion and, and, and I remember reading it going, I can't read everything this guy's ever written. This is not the <laughs> <American."> <laughs> like like I, I got through it and I was like, this is a very different work like this. There's just so much here. And, you know, as a I guess a typical uh, high schooler, I just a lot of it just went clear over my head. And it wasn't until I was in college and I was, you know, talking about some of the stuff from it with with my friends. And I realized how how little of it I had really absorbed and things I thought I knew that, like, I didn't know, um, you know. And so I went back and I was like, no, I'm going to reread it. I'm going to understand this thing this time. <laughs> and so I very, I very purposefully went through it and tried to read it. And you know, pulled out. You know, I think I, that's when I got the Atlas of Middle Earth, so I could figure out what yeah. the heck was going on with the various. And I would go back and reread passages and go, "Okay, so when did the lamps come down, and what what did the earth look like, or what did Arda look like at that time?" And that, uh, and then I think, and since then, I've listened to it a third time, and I don't recommend that, just because, <laughs> like, I I tend to get overwhelmed by names. Very rapidly, mm-hmm. and he will just drop 15 names in a paragraph. and I'm like, I don't oh, yeah. names for
1: the same person, right? <laughs> yeah, in five languages, yeah.
2: Who yeah. was also known as, but he was known by these people as, and I'm like, I don't, I just, oh, <laughs> I'm so, I know so, they'll mention him later on, and I'm like, I don't know who that is, I don't, I don't even know where to go back to to find that guy. <laughs> So so if you're if you're reading it for the first time I I don't recommend it. Li- I mean there are definitely swaths of it that you can listen to and be perfectly fine um especially the story parts and the, the beginning the opening stuff but when you get into like the real beginnings uh, where they're naming all of the elves and telling and that's just rough. It's just
0: rough listening to. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I think I was aware of the Silmarillion for a while before I read it and kind of like I first became aware of like the second and first age stuff through one of the uh, a book called The Tolkien Bestiary mm. by a guy called David Day. Now I know I I know guys in the fan community <laughs> pe- people don't like his books because apparently they they are riddled with errors supposedly. Um I was not aware of this when I read That book all uh, like what what stuck with me was that, oh, wow, there's a whole history behind all this stuff. And so I I became aware of the Silmarillion through him. I didn't read it till I was in college Um, and I I distinctly remember. Okay, so in college, I lived off campus and I used to commute (laughs) via train and I distinctly remember Uh, sitting on the train it was like an hour train ride either way to and from campus reading the Silmarillion on the train and being hopelessly confused (laughs) by a lot of the names like we said and like the and trying to I I I remember going through the oh what what is that chapter called the the one with with that we joked about with all the uh, oh yeah
1: the of of Beleriand and it's Realms, I think, or something like
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Uh oh yeah, of Balerian then it read its realms. I have a distinct memory of reading that on the train and just being like, What? <laughs> like, <laughs> <and> being like, <laughs> so like it 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 was kind of difficult to get through. But no, when when I read through it a second time later, when, you know, I, I think it was over a summer or something and I had more leisure time, it was you know, I was just like, This book is incredible and I love introducing other people to it you know I loved introducing my brother to the Silmarillion he had read the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit obviously and you know he would he started reading the Silmarillion in his commute to and from work a couple of years ago and when he would come home from work I would be like okay so which part did you read and we would have these great <laughs> you know discussions about it we'd be like oh yeah that's awesome you know some of the epic Moments, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But yeah, it's it's a strange book because it's not something Tolkien like wrote start to finish. It is it was assembled from a bunch of his different writings written at different times by his son, Christopher, and it wasn't actually published until I believe a few years after his death. It was published in 77, I think, and I believe Tolkien passed away in 1973.
1: Three. Yeah, because it's the fiftieth this year.
0: Right. Yeah. So it it was it was published posthumously, but he had wanted it to be published as a companion to the Lord of the Rings. In in fact, if you read the the published Silmarillion, there's a uh, a for kind of a little foreword called the Waldman letter, where he's writing a letter to one of his publishers, trying to justify like, no, you should publish this with the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> you know, like, but the publisher was kind of like a bit leery of that. They're all, I mean, probably, you know, also from a cost standpoint, they're like, we're already publishing this huge trilogy here. And, you know, like the cost of paper and whatnot, we don't want to commit to this other thing that we don't, you know, know if it'll do well, but I'm glad that we finally got it. It's, Oh, and one of the other things I like to tell people is that if you've read the Lord of the Rings and then you've read the Silmarillion, Go back and read the Lord of the Rings again. Yeah, because you're going to start to notice all those kind of references that maybe didn't make sense in your first reading of the Lord of the Rings. You're going to be like, oh, he's referring to that thing. And it's, you know, know, like it makes rereading the Lord of the Rings again such a pleasure because, you know, a lot of the references of what different characters are talking about. And I like how Tolkien describes in the Waldman letter how these legends in the Silmarillion go from, like, the high and cosmological to, like, more intimate stories. And today we're talking about the cosmological because the first part of the Silmarillion is actually not part of the Silmarillion proper, right? Because there's different sections of the book. Now, the Quintus Silmarillion is kind of the Silmarillion proper. That's the quest of the Silmarils. But before that, there's two brief sections which we'll talk about today. And the first is, and this is kind of a jaw cracker, the Ainu Lindale. I remember I, I spent years calling it the uh, Ainu Lindale, uh, the Ainu or something like that. You know, I, I I was so glad when I finally learned how this was pronounced. But yeah, the Ainu Lindale is the creation of not just Middle-earth but of the whole universe in which Middle-earth exists.
1: Yeah, so sorry just for No, yeah, to go ahead. kind of maybe explain like mm-hmm. in in Tolkien Middle-earth is a continent. It's not right. the world. The world is actually the world the the planet for lack of a better term is Arda. So just wanted to clarify that cuz we're Right. I mean we say Middle-earth we use it interchangeably, but in, you know, if we're going to be technical, which we, I guess we should be if we're talking about Tolkien, right. <laughs> you want to be correct. Uh, the Silmarillion. The best yeah, kind of. Arda is,
0: yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. There's Middle-Earth, the, There's uh, Arda. And then there's Aya, which is the universe.
1: Aya is like creation. Yeah. Aya is like creation itself. So, but anyway, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there so that uh, for our listeners.
0: No, yeah. And it, it's funny. I actually like, um, between when I first learned about this stuff and when I read the Silmarillion, I actually had the Idol in Delay. I heard it read because at the uh, local seminary and retreat house uh, in my diocese, they were doing in, in the summer. They used to do these uh, these these lecture series uh, that anybody could just come to It was a free lecture series. And one of them was actually on Tolkien. And the uh, the priest who was giving the lecture actually read excerpts from the Ainu Lindelay, And it was it blew my mind, <laughs> actually. So what? Yes. Yeah, so what What about you guys? What was it, when you first read the Ainu Lindalei? What were your kind of first reactions or like what? What do you think of it now? Did it also was it also kind of a bit mind blowing? Because <laughs> it definitely was for me.
1: Yeah, probably the first time I read it, I was like I was probably very overwhelmed and didn't really understand what was going on. And <laughs> and as I've, as I've reread and listened to like other podcasts and things um, kind of, you, you kind of get, I got more, I'm definitely gotten more out of it. So it's definitely something it's, I mean, I'm not calling Tolkien scripture, but it's like scripture in that way that you it's, it's something worth revisiting. Cause you can, as you learn more about it and kind of understand more, more about it, you're going to, you're going to get more out of it yourself and you're going to understand more and you're catch things that you didn't catch before. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a very cool creation story of like, because it's, you know, uh, we'll get there in a minute, but it's creation as music. And mm-hmm. Iluvatar, the, you know, God creates the the Valar and the, or creates the Ainur, uh, which are the Valar and the Maiar, which are, which he uses to create the music that brings the world into, ex- that brings, you know, Aya into existence and eventually Arda. So just a very cool, like, cause I mean, I'm not a great musician or I wasn't, but I was in band. So like, I, I get like I, being that kind of was, was a cool like understanding of, um you know, music and like putting, playing as a band and playing as a, or, you know, as a organization is, is just a, like, I was not that I was like part, you know, <laughs> part of the creation, but it's like, it's, it's cool to, when you're a part of that, when you're part of, of a big musical piece.
0: Yeah. And we should say that, uh, Ainu Lindale is, is Quenya for the music of the Ainur. The Ainur being the the kind of angelic orders of Tolkien's world, both the Valar, who are kind of like archangels, and the Maiar, who are more like, you know, the the lesser angels. But yeah, Pat, what was your kind of take on this sort of alternate creation story?
2: Yeah, I didn't really have a good grasp on it the first time mm-hmm. I read it. It was sort of like... There were parts of it where I was sort of kind of confused as to what was going on. It's um, <laughs> like, I thought this was a history or uh, <laughs> was supposed to be Lord of the Rings. What is what is going on? You know, <laughs> um, and then I started to get to like, he starts naming the Ainur and then we get to the the Valenquenta after that. And that was sort of like my focus. I'm like, OK, I'm through whatever that was. And now we're going on to the, to the <laughs> stuff I'm interested in. Um, and it honestly wasn't until after, um, it wasn't really until probably the last 10 years or so that I really started to appreciate it. And it kind of goes hand in hand with sort of a journey I've been on with reading scripture. Um, Mm. um, I don't know, eight years into, so I I read a chapter of the Bible every day. Um, and I started about eight years ago. It takes, it took me four and a half years and I got through the whole thing um and so then i just started again <laughs> and so nice. i'm through i'm i'm into ezekiel now so i'm a little over halfway again um but because it it's very similar in nature to a lot of those stories and then the the way the way i kind of had to train my brain to think about a lot of how scripture is written um allowed me to then read this in the same way, like like not as sort of history or as, you know, to read it as more of a creation myth and to understand like what that meant um, in respect to the other stuff in the book. And so it like when I read it now or I listen to it now, like I understand every sentence like means a lot. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. It's not just there's no there's no like throwaway fluff. Right. It's it's every sentence is purposeful and has a has meaning or possibly multiple meanings behind it. Um, and it all hangs together in a way that was very purposefully done. It's not a kind of a haphazardly written novel, right? It's it's put together with purpose or with reason.
0: Yeah, I was lucky because, again, I was first initiated into the Ainu by, like, someone who knew it front to back and was explaining it in lecture format. So I was really lucky that way so that when I finally got around to reading the Silmarillion like proper on those train rides. I actually really enjoyed the Ina Lindley cause I already had some background in it, but yeah. And it, it's like, and I, I, I just love it because I, it, to me, it's almost like filling the, the, the gaps. It kind of tells the, that part that, that Genesis doesn't actually cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <a> good point. <laughs> the fall of the angels and like, you know, what was going on with the the angelic orders before you know the creation of the physical universe and i was just like yeah there's yeah
1: there's that line in genesis where god says let us create and Mm -hmm. people always say oh there's he's talking to other gods or there's other gods around and if you study it it's like no that's not actually what it is but it you can kind of you know maybe we can kind of headcanon that maybe this is tolkien saying like oh it's it's god talking to the valar or something (laughs)
0: Right, because, like, yeah. ultimately, Iluvatar, Eru Iluvatar, creates the universe out of nothing. And he, we should explain his two names, by the way. Eru simply means the one. So he's one god. It's a monotheistic universe, like in real life. Iluvatar means I, Iluvatar means the father of all, or the all-father, which I feel like is Tolkien's little tip of the hat to Nordic mythology. Norse, yeah, Norse mythology. yeah, you have Odin, all-father. Yeah, But, um... But no, uh, Eru Iluvatar is not like Odin or any of the other pagan gods because he's a transcendent god who's always existed from eternity and creates the universe out of nothing. But he allows the Ainur to kind of help him shape the form and history of the world. He kind of appoints them as like stewards or wardens of creation. Well, you get into
1: that idea of of subcreation, right? in Tolkien starting here, which... um... You know, we're all we're we're all sub creators under the one creator. Um, you know, anyone who's who's has any kind of religion, you know, religion and a religion and a god like that, um, you know, that created everything out of nothing. Like everyone is a sub creator, and so Tolkien's very big on that. And throughout, uh, especially throughout the Silmarillion, and and even beyond to some extent, but it's definitely most uh, most evident in the Silmarillion because you later on when we get into like creating creating the similar or creating you know other items crafting or whatever everyone is sub creating mm-hmm. so
0: and I love that both in I don't know if this was intentional on both their parts but in both Tolkien and Lewis's fantasy worlds it's created through music because if you remember yeah. from the the magician's nephew mm-hmm. Aslan sings, sings Narnia, Narnia into existence yep I just love that yes, yes. <laughs> And the, yeah, the Magician's little, nephew, by the way, is probably one of my favorite Narnia books. Just as a little tangent, I just I love that yeah, book. And that's
1: at some point we need to do a, a recording on Narnia. on C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. <laughs> on and Lewis and Tolkien,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I like that connection. But that, that they're both at the root of these two fantasy universes is music. You know that kind of. I want to say it's a
2: Lewis quote, but it may be a Chesterton quote, and I can't remember. But it's it's that God hums the universe along, and he's just kind Mm. of like it's sort of this notion that God's just walking along, you know, the street corner, humming everything into existence as it goes. And I really like that from a like from my you know scientific background uh, from college. I studied you know what I will call the mysteries of the universe as per our tiny understanding of it um, from a scientific background. And I love, I love all of it. And I, I really love the underpinnings of the universe, like the kind of the the laws that are set in place and the fact that it just, it works and everything just is in this wonderful dance and balance. Um, But there's nothing like, there's nothing saying that like, that is how it has to be right. Like the, the, like, like we live in a in a world that's sort of governed by entropy, and so everything sort of falls apart slowly over time. Except the laws don't. Like the laws just keep going. Like huh. this is true today that if I you know roll a ball down an an incline into another ball, it's going to make that other ball travel today as it was yesterday, as it will be tomorrow. Like the laws just keep going. They don't fade away. They don't change. They're not mutable. And it just—it feels like to me this sort of notion that God is sort of just constantly singing it as it goes. Like it's just he's he's and I want to say it's Chesterton that has the line that like the the getting old is not a function of God because God loves watching the sun come up every day. It's just like a little child who says, "Do it again, do it again." <laughs>
0: like he, I think that's know. Chesterton. Yeah. yeah, that that sounds awfully familiar. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I love the idea of that sort of being sung into into being. Um, And again, I didn't really latch onto that idea until I was older.
0: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, one of the opening lines is that the, the voices of the Ainur began to fashion the theme of Iluvatar into a great music and a sound arose of endless interchanging melodies woven in harmony that passed beyond hearing. So he's even including them in the music part. And this is before he's created anything. He's kind of including them in this music, which we eventually kind of learn is this plan of the history of, of Aya or end of Arda of, of the universe and of, the the world that Middle Earth exists in. But then we have you know we we start to get into the the names of the different Ainur and stuff and we get Melkor who uh starts to introduce his own sort of unique music into the music and it becomes this discord. Which I thought's a very interesting I don't think allegory is the right word, but kind of symbolic like take on the problem of evil is that it's a discord in the harmony of the universe i just thought that was interesting and that may maybe like pat you you were talking about entropy like maybe entropy exists because it's the discord (laughs) yeah of melkor that like the reason entropy exists at all is because before the before the creation of the universe something got messed up and so (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's I mean, like from a theological perspective, I've pondered on that quite a bit, like that that conceptually, if we think about like living in a, you know, a perpetual time with God and like, what does that mean? Like, what does perpetuality mean? And and the lack of entropy, well, you either need to have a a continuous creation destruction cycle that's going or you need to have a lack of a lot of things and entropy is one of them. And I've always thought about that. Like there is this just like, like it's, and I don't remember where this is from. I think it was a role-playing game, but the concept of like prior to the fall, you know, everything like the cosmos was all set up in circles. And then like the fall, because of how like discordant it was, everything ends up as ellipses and tilted on its side and everything's spinning out of control and nothing's working quite right anymore. Um and I I do really like that that sort of this this view of uh you know because evil is like deprivation right so you don't have evil without good evil's not its own like thing right um in Catholic theology it is a deprivation of the good so it's something you've done wrong or you're missing and I think that that lends itself really well to music. Because, like everybody knows what a discordant sound sounds like, like it's just part of human it. like you're listening to something and then a key is hit wrong or something is and you immediately notice it mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's a a very good i don't know what your symbol sim, symbol or allegory or whatever the right word is metaphor like simile <laughs>
0: the fact that we even know it's a discord is very interesting because it means that there's something. It speaks that to that, that there's objective truth because everyone can objectively say that note is discordant, you know, that it doesn't fit. Yeah. And I, oh, that opens up a lot of philosophical theological questions, you know, but, um, I like that, you know, that, um, you know, when Melkor introduces this discord, it says he he thought therein to increase the power and glory of the part assigned to himself, and so for him it's not just enough to be one of the players, even the greatest player, he's got to be the conductor, even though he he's obviously not, you know he and he can't be, but he just has this idea that like oh I'm I I know better, yeah it's it's
1: like it, it you're getting it's getting into the subcreation thing where uh he's not really being a sub creator like he's wanting to supplant the creator even though there's no no way he can but he's mm-hmm. that's kind of ultimately where we're going and we've kind of talked about the difference kind of between him and like Ale you know as we you know we've talked before how Ale uh, or you know I think even the, the last episode that just came out about he create when he created the dwarves he was ready to kind of destroy them if it was not meeting with with Iluvatar's approval because he he was wanting to sub and to honor Iluvatar whereas Melkor is wanting to introduce this discord and and play his own theme to so that he can be you know try to lead be you know lead his own music or lead his own you know contingent uh to create his own thing
0: right yeah and I like how it's it kind of foresees. Sauron in a way both Sauron as we see him in the legendarium and Sauron as we see him in the rings of power because I like how in the rings of power Sauron is basically like if you all just listen to me and do things my way things will be so much better <laughs> and, and and if things go wrong it's your fault for not listening to me you like gaslights people but it's like but like the, like I like that that you know He's 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 trying to take control of things because he thinks he knows better. And if only you did things my way, peep, things would be so much better. But it which is interesting because you know even though Melkor introduces this discord and the music starts it it describes it like waves or like a storm where everything is becoming like going completely out of control, you know, Iluvatar stops the music at one point and tells Melkor those things which you have sung, I will show them forth that ye may see what ye have done. And thou, Melkor, shall see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite, for he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful, which he himself hath not imagined. And that's essentially the the Christian answer to the problem of evil, right? That God can take any evil that happens in the world and make a greater good out of it. Evil can't really mar God's creation. It can only add in the end to his own greater glory, right? Right, yeah. You have sort of this
2: um, conceptuality of the, like, no matter what like the 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 simple good would be better right if we were all in harmony and and the the song was was never out of discord mm-hmm. it it would have been good um but because of the discord because of the evil n- th- what we're going to bring out of that is going to be a greater good and it's not necessarily that like oh the evil should have happened to bring the greater good that's not the point it's that right. like evil does not have the final say it will all be wrought to a greater good. Uh, and I, I do really like that. He kind of like, because it's interesting. You get the, the lines in about Melkor like going off into the void and, um, kind of contemplating on his own thoughts. And I, it's sort of this weird right. sort of like, he's trying to be on his own, um, away from Eru and eru is kind of like no dude you can't that's just
0: not nah. <laughs> it's not going to happen right and he's looking in in the void for the the flame imperishable mm-hmm. which is kind of eru's creative principle and of course it says you know the flame imperishable resides with eru so melkor's kind of going completely in the wrong direction he thinks he can find the flame imperishable by getting as far away from eru as he can when actually it resides with Eru himself. So Melkor's completely gone off in the wrong direction. He's he's literally disoriented, you know? Um, And of course, Melkor will eventually become the character we know as Morgoth. He's named that by the elves. So he's essentially Tolkien's... This is about as allegorical as Tolkien gets, you know, because, (laughs) you know, yeah, Melkor is supposed to be Lucifer. You know, and we we're seeing essentially the fall of Lucifer. His name means he who arises in might. He's supposed to be the greatest of the Ainur, and like he he they he says he has a share in like all the powers of the others. So and that he's he's the he's actually in in the mind of a He's the brother of Manway, which is and Manway becomes the chief of the Valar, and Manway is kind of a Saint Michael figure. So I, f- I find that interesting that in in the mind of a they're brothers. Um, but the the discord, uh, Jeff, you've actually brought this up a few times when we were reviewing Rings of Power that the the discord is actually visualized in the uh, in the opening, the opening, the opening credits. credits, like the the Ainulindale yeah, and the music and the the introduction of the discord, right?
1: Yeah, because if you watch the credits, and it's been a little bit, I, I should have gone back and, and actually watched this. But if you if you watch it, it's a first. It's kind of one theme. It everything's in harmony, but then you see like the introduction of Melkor's discord, and the theme like changes slightly. But then it kind of weaves back together, and it happens a couple more times, and eventually the credits get more into like what's happening with in the in you know the ages of the first age and second age, but. Yeah, in the first part of the credits, it's like you can—it's actually visually represented. And i am not claiming that I came up with that. No, so yeah,
0: and I think yeah, but, I think they've um, even the creators have even talked about it.
1: But yeah, just it's like so if you if you haven't really watched the credits to Rings of Power in a while, uh, it and you know it could be a good kind of companion to this. But, but yeah, Melkor is just um, yeah he's. I, I've seen like the meme, memes of like of Eru, It's like the caption is like Eru, you know, creating the harmony, and then you see Melkor with the the guy representing Melkor is like a saxophone player and just kind of like doing a <laughs> doing a solo. But it's,
0: but it's kind of like
1: yeah, it's 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 like that. He's just like tries to go and do his own thing and just you know he's trying to kind of like you know it's, it, he's very narcissistic and I mean that's like we're seeing that and as you as we kind of go later into the story of Melkor Morgoth He's kind of isolates himself even further, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. He like, before there's creation, like he's trying to get away from like, he's in, he's literally trying to get away from the only thing that, that <laughs> existed before him <laughs> and to find how to create or, you know, it's, it's, it's very like, I don't know. It'd be interesting to get more on like his insight into like, why does he want to do that? It's almost like he always had that as like, that he was going to fall. Cause like, you know, it's, cause that's kind of how we talk about the angels too is, or what I've heard, you know, I'm not, I'm not a theologian, but what I've heard said about the angels is they were created with full knowledge. And then Hmm. the ones that chose to not obey God did it at the moment of their creation. Like they, they had the knowledge of who God is. And you know, possibly what God's plan was for for the world and whatnot. And they chose to fall away from that. And whereas, you know, humans and it, we've you know, we have we have a long time to, to grow our conscience and to develop that intellect to you know, we have to choose and choose over and over again. But Melkor and, and yeah, if you as we read more, we'll see Melkor like he had chances repeatedly <laughs> and just kept <laughs> It's like he kept choosing the wrong, you know, the wrong path every, you know, almost every time. Like there are times he may he tried to come back and may have, you know,
0: had a good intention here and there. But. Right. He's also envious of elves and men, you know, who are called the the children of Iluvatar. Because they mentioned that that Eru, you know, after he propounds the themes to them and shows them the vision of Aya, of the universe and its history, up to a point, it says like he he actually doesn't show them the later ages. Yeah. He shows them up until the, the diminishment of the elves. But even in seeing that, like Melkor, he's, he starts to become envious of the children of Iluvatar and their, their gifts and stuff. And he has it in his mind that it's like, well, if I didn't create these things, I'm I'm just going to ruin them, you know? And, and that seems to be a lot of his modus operandi in the beginning is just whatever the Valar, when they go down into Arda, whatever the Valar build up, He's like that kid who goes around and kicks over your sandcastle after you've built it. <laughs> I
2: mean, that's you know? that's exactly how they describe him when they get yeah. when and it's what I find like very interesting is. So you have the themes play out uh, and then they're, they're they're given the vision, right? Yeah. And it almost seems like from their perspective, they're like, oh, like, look at this cool thing we created. Um, and then, you know, they're given the option to go down there. And then when they get there, they're like, oh, we're back at the beginning. <laughs> like, oh, now Why? we have to actually build this thing. Like, like we sung it, but now we actually have to do it. Like, it's sort of like, OK, we we made the directions, uh, but we actually, you know, we didn't build the the furniture
0: yet. We, <laughs> we drew get... the blueprint, but we didn't build the house. That's right. right? Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I like that as sort of a um a window into like how God understands things um i'm trying to think fulton sheen had a good a good one this and it's you know like a 90 second clip or whatever but he talks about god doesn't understand a building like somebody who goes to the building he understands it like an architect like the and like the construction crew that built it he knows it like he knows it inside and out he knows where every little thing is he knows how it should have been built, and then how it actually got built, because those were never the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, And sort of, it's sort of this. I thought that was really cool too, like how the 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 Ainor, you know, in their transition from Ainor to Valar, they sort of like are reset. It's sort of like, okay, now that you've blueprinted this thing, it's time to get to building, and then you see right. the discord playing itself out via or in kind of real time.
1: Yeah. And, and, Melkor's even in, when he's playing his theme, his discord themes, he's other Maiar or other, you know, of the einor are, cause they're not, uh, I guess classified yet, but the other, some other Einor are starting to like follow him. Like as we've talked before, like Sauron and the Balrogs, they are, they are Maiar. So they're like the ones that followed Melkor into that, you know, who may have initially followed, followed Melkor into that discordant theme. Um, so he's like, already he's starting, you know, he's drawing others, others to him, um, you know, in a bad way. Yeah, because
2: so. it's, you know, by the time you get to the third theme, it, t- it talks about it like it's almost two separate orchestras playing or two separate choirs. You yes. know, like the braying of the trumpets over here that oh, sometimes yeah. um, harmonize with each other and they make some really awesome like notes and stuff, but always seems to be based on entirely on what's coming out of the, the choir that seems to be trying to go along with the Iluvatar's theme. Um, and yeah, I think, it's thank you for reminding
0: me of that. Oh yeah. Because like, the, uh, because the, the, the description is actually kind of funny. He describes the two themes. He says one was deep and wide and beautiful. So the one being propounded by Iluvatar and the Ainur, but slow and blended with immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. And now here's the description of Melkor's theme. The the other had now achieved a unity of its own, but it was loud and vain and endlessly repeated, and it had little harmony, but rather a clamorous unison as of many trumpets braying upon a few notes. And I'm like, it's Twitter! <laughs> loud and vain and endlessly (laughs) repeated like trumpets praying on a few notes i'm like it's twitter twitter it's it's the worst aspects of kind of of (laughs) (laughs) of you know of modern sort of 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 evil as we see it played out in the way people argue about stuff you know and just like loud and vain that people think if oh if we repeat these few slogans over and over and over again loudly we can just drown out everything else and i'm like that was so pre-, you know appreciated, you know of him to but of course he you know he also lived through the 20th century where he see saw you know the rise of ideologies like fascism and communism where they're all about just chanting stupid slogans over and over again and getting masses of people you know, to, you know, join in this kind of, like, you know, communal, like, a, what is it in 1984, the the five minutes of hate, five minute hate, or whatever, yeah. five minute hate, yeah, that's what it kind
2: of reminds me of. That's, <laughs> let's, let's start okay. off, and then, that reminds me of, like, people who listen to the news in the morning, <laughs> you're getting your five right. minute hate on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people like, how come you don't pay attention to the news, like, because... I I want to live a long (laughs) life
0: and I don't think I can do that (laughs) if I pay attention to the news. No, I try and explain that to people and they're just like, what? I'm like, you know, you've got to stay informed. I'm like, there's a difference between staying informed and essentially putting poison into your eyeballs, which is, (laughs) but in any case, yeah, I just, I I thought that was very real, a realistic way of to describe what this kind of, Discord is because you see it in real life, you know. Um, yeah, especially if you turn on the TV, but um, I like that eventually he says that at the end, which is not the end of the world, is not included in the Silmarillion, although Tolkien did write the Dagger Daggeroth, which is kind of the final Isn't battle. It? Um, but he says that at the end of that, he hints at it in the Silmarillion, saying. A greater music shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Ainur and the children of Iluvatar after the end of days. So if if it's a second music, doesn't that mean there's going to be a second creation? Right. Kind of like the new heaven and the yeah, new earth I mean, of Revelation.
1: Yeah, because when we did our religion our like religion episode of, of almost like almost a year ago, um, we were talking about how the you know, the men are taken to the heart of Iluvatar and the elves are kind of left, uh, the elves are, you know, are left in Arda to kind of see what that vision will become. And, and yeah, there's, he didn't really come up, he didn't really make a, give a clear answer on what that was going to be. Um, you know, if we can kind of imagine maybe it's just like, truly all the discord is gone and it's, it really, it's just like a paradise for, you know, men and elves and, and and everyone in some kind of um, afterlife, you know, beyond, beyond even the elves, uh, you know, immortal lives in, uh, in, in Amman. So I don't know. That's, I kind of think of it as like, maybe that's like, I mean, because we have, you know, in our, in our faith, we have the, you know, the end of times and what comes after. And, you know, we, hope we hope that we'll in the when it when that comes, if it's in our lifetime or beyond, that we're, you know, counted among among the faithful and are with um you know become part of the new creation and and there's, you know, um if you've read Left Behind, like and things like that, which I've I've read it in the past, there's you know, which is not, you know, not exactly what we believe as Catholics, but, you know, they there's like creation kind of starting over in a sense of like, you know, all the all the people who kind of the faithful are like back on earth and, and living, but you know, we'll be in a potential, you know, glorified type of state at that point, after we've the resurrection of the dead and and all that. And, but we don't really know what that's, what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just kind of, it's, it's one of those cool mysteries in Tolkien. That's, you know, fun to think about. And it's like, what are these immortal elves and these men who, And, you know, the dwarves are in there and the hobbits are in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Like we talked to the dwarves, maybe are like, they'll go to, they'll kind of go go to sleep to kind of like physically remake Arda and, um, you know, be there at the end as well. So, yeah, it's just kind of cool, fun to think about, like after truly all the, you know, discord and evil has gone from the world. Like, because even after Return of the King, you know, it's a, it's a precursor, it's, it's the myth, mythological, you know past of of our world so there's evil in our world today so like when all that is gone what will it be it's kind of the way i'm thinking of it
2: yeah it's i think it's it's one of those mysteries it sort of plays off the real mystery which is you know what comes after right Um, right you know what's what is the new earth and the new um new heaven going to be like and, and what are we going to be doing while we're there? Or are we going to be doing stuff? I assume I'm going to be doing stuff. I can't see myself.
1: <laughs> Just, well, it's but yeah, it's it's something that like I've thought about is like, what what is heaven? You know, what will heaven be like? What is it like for, you know, the souls in heaven? And I think we yeah, we always have to think about it as like we only we don't understand the concept of eternity as humans. Like we we can talk about it to an extent, but we like don't really comprehend it. Cause it's essentially an eternal, like it, it's an eternal now, like it's a present that is always happening and always has happened. So it's like when you're, you know, when, if you're face to face with, with God, like you don't need to do anything because you're, you know, you're, you're fulfilling the, what you were created for. And so like, it's, it's weird to think about Cause yeah, I'm the same. I'm like, I get bored if I'm sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> like, like I'll, I'll, I need a TV show or a, Podcast or a book or like even at, like I have mind doing sitting and doing nothing and watching a TV show but like I need something like that it's really hard to like sit down and focus you know in prayer and whatnot yeah. <laughs> and so it's like that's what it will be that's you know co- could be what it's like is like eternally you're that's all you're doing and and you know forever and ever and ever <laughs> and it's just if you think about it too hard <laughs> your your mind's gonna explode. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I remember
2: there's a good there's such so a. Uh, web webcomic, order of the stick um but one of the, the and it's based on dungeon and dragons and one of the characters dies and he goes to like the one of the heavens right and he's hanging out in the good heaven because it's based on like a weird view of morality but either way <laughs> he's in he's in heaven and like he's he's hanging out with his parents and he's he goes fishing with his grandfather and someone mentions to him that it's been a really long time since he's been dead. Shouldn't his friends be getting around to resurrecting him by now? And he goes, I've only been here like a couple of weeks. And, then, and, then, and, and, and it's like his grandfather looks at him and it's like, uh, go ahead and ask your little like light ball that follows you around how long you've been there. And the light ball is like, you've, you've been fishing for 17 days. And he's like, what? <laughs> Cause like the whole concept of like discomfort and like, you know, Because I can't sit still in a chair, right? Because eventually something will like fall asleep or I'll have to move my legs or scratch my head or like, Okay, so what if you get rid of discomfort? What if you get rid of thirst and hunger and the need to sleep? And like if you start removing all of these things that we need because we're like limited beings in a world of entropy, like what is that? kind of existence look, look like could you just fish for 40 years and not realize any time had passed like, uh-huh. like um I, I mean what 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 is
0: time in that context you know right like, you know, like, <laughs> no yeah i mean maybe that's why like Tolkien kind of avoided it or rather christopher <laughs> like didn't put that you know set, didn't put the dagger <laughs> dagger at in the Silmarillion, because he's like, I want to avoid a- ants, you know, dealing with those questions. But but yeah. Um, and so the Ainulindale it kind of is has sort of a little supplemental section, which is the Valaquenta, which we've covered technically most of that material. If you go back and listen to our episode about the Valar, um, because it, it names all of the, the kings and queens of the Valar. And you know their their chief Maiar, who kind of serve them, and it also has a little bit of se- section on the enemies. Talks about Sauron and the Balrogs and stuff like that. But um, did did you guys have any like uh, things that stood out though about the 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 Valaquenta in particular? Or
1: I'll just say like it, so if if you're reading this for the first time, like you the Valaquenta m- or might be. Before you read *Ana Lindley, like *The Ana Lindley is cool, but it's very like much a dense like poetry-filled section. Whereas *The Vala Quinta is like it gets you more into like more of a traditional type of story because you're you're learning who kind of your your chief characters or some of your you know chief characters are going to be. So it's it's a little bit more descriptive, and so like if you're if you start the Anna Lindley and just aren't aren't getting it, aren't having or having trouble with it, just maybe you could skip. You could skip that part for now. Like, definitely go back to it, but you could skip that part for now and then go check out the Valaquenta, which is getting you introduced to these. You know, who's at least for for part of the Silmarillion will be the kind of our chief our chief players. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing else for me as far. It's just it's a cool section because you're getting to learn like the various, uh, you know, Valar and their servants, and I think that's where we start getting it. Uh Getting into you know who the some of the Maiar are like the Throngear and uh is the or is it Throngear is the the first the eagle Maiar or is Throngear the eagle from the from uh oh uh, Thrandor yeah yeah. Therondor, or, Therondor.
0: yeah he's the chief of the eagles
1: okay, but I don't so think yeah.
0: he's yeah I think he's only he's only mentioned later
1: okay yeah um, well well but it isn't gosh. the chief like they descend from the the Maiar that was oh yeah the, yeah yeah. So you get like, I mean, you get cool things like that.
0: In the yeah, they definitely mention Way and the Eagles. One part that stood out to me was that I feel like some of the writers on the Rings of Power have read this section very carefully. Because um, one of the Maiar, in, of the Maiar, one of the Maiar who's mentioned is Ase, who is a vassal of Ulmo, the Lord of Waters, right? And it mentions how at the beginning of Arda, Melkor tried to tempt Ase to join his side, like he tempted Sauron, who was a vassal of Aole, right? And he actually gets Sauron to join him. Ase initially kind of flirts with joining Melkor because he's promised to be given, like, you know, all of, uh, you know, control over the oceans and stuff. But Ase has a wife, Uinen. The Lady of the Seas, and it says, um, where are we get? I'm um, sorry. Yeah. It is said that in the making of Arda, Melkor endeavored to draw Ose to his allegiance, promising to him the realm and power of Ulmo if he would serve him. So it was that long ago there arose great tumults in the sea that wrought ruin on the lands. But Uinen, at the prayer of Aule, restrained Ose. And brought him before Ulmo, and he was pardoned and returned to his allegiance to which he has remained faithful. Now, it's interesting that when Halbrand, who we know later is Sauron, is imprisoned in Numenor, in the jail he's imprisoned in, there is a statue of Uinen. Now, the Numenorians revere Uinen because she's kind of this lady of mercy and of tranquil seas and stuff. But it's also kind of reminding you that Sauron never had an Uinan. Ase was going to join Melkor, but his wife brought him back to the light side. And so there's that kind of acknowledgement that might Sauron have also not turned to evil if he had had any kind of companion or love in his life in that kind of way. And so I feel that in that instance, the writers had read uh, the Valaquenta very carefully and brought out that in the visual. They they don't explain it. It's there for you to see it if you've read this stuff. And I felt that that was that was very clever. And uh, I I I want to congratulate the writers like they There's some other dumb stuff that they did, but that was actually very, very clever and very good. um, Well, I was
1: going to say, I don't know if you'll call, if you call this clever or dumb, but in the, when, uh, when Galadriel finds out who Halbrand is, Halbrand's trying to like get him, get her to join him, like Mm -hmm. almost in that kind of a companion way. And he's like, forget exactly what he says, but it's something like, you know, you can make me, you know, you can make what I do good. Like you can be the, make sure, you know, keep me in check and that kind of thing. And, you know, right. I don't know if that's, that's Sauron saying like actually wanting that, or if he's just like trying to trick Galadriel, probably the latter, but, but yeah, it's like that, that kind of seeking for companionship, which
0: because
1: mm-hmm. Sauron is in, when we get to Lord of the Rings and, or even, you know, in, in the later Samaritan, he's utterly alone. Like, and that's mm-hmm. and the same thing with, we're seeing that with Melkor and, you know, the other, um, you know, the other uh, Maiar and and that followed him, like they're all utterly alone. Like they lose, like you know, Shelob and or maybe not Shelob, um, Ungoliant, the spider, um, and Sauron and others. They're just like, and the Balrogs, like they're all just go rich, ret- like the Balrogs go and hide underground because they're just like, there's they have no companionship. So yeah, it's definitely you're seeing that and you see that theme going back to the like we were talking about the Aina of like going away from the Luvatar and companionship. And they're right. that kind of this part of what leads them down that evil path. Um,
0: That's the thing, too, because S- Sauron doesn't have friends. He just uses people. Right. You know, so I feel like it was kind of the latter in that by that point, he's too far gone. And he's just saying those things to kind of, you know, work on to on Galadriel's kind of pity and sense of mercy and, and is trying to just like use her to get what he wants. But, but there's still yeah. that, that sort of question, like, would he have turned out differently if in the beginning of his descent into evil, there was someone like where Ase had Uinen. So I, th- I just thought that was an interesting question that the writers of the shows raise. And it proves that even if they can't use legally, a lot of the stuff that's in the Silmarillion, they, they, some of them have at least read it and have read very deeply into it, which I think is good. It, it, it's good going forward so that we have less stuff like the, the Silmaril being the creation of Mithril. And we have more, and and we have (laughs) more stuff like that. So, but, um, Oh, uh, before we close on the Valaquenta, though, we have a fun thing, because if you guys remember from our, our episode on the Valar, we created Valar names for ourselves. Uh, uh, Jeff, you were Jeff say, right?
1: Yeah, Jeff say I forget. I, I meant to go back and see exactly. But yeah, Jeff say and it was like the Lord of, you know, I think I think it was like food and wine or, you know, food and food and drink or something along those lines, because, you know, I'm a craft beer guy so uh, um, and i was like and i like food
0: very hobbit like was the, i was the hobbits fellow. Right. Yeah, the, right the hobbits, the, Valor, the hobbits will yeah. always toast you <laughs> exactly <laughs> and i was thule the giver of books in his like you know giant cloak and whatever always oh, has these little pockets where there's different books and things he's the scribe of the valar. but uh jeff we inv- uh no i'm sorry messed up Pat, we invited <laughs> you to create your own uh Valar name using uh Caitlin's Handy Dandy Valar name generator. Yeah, so
2: um so Pat, obviously, that's the easy easy part. Um yeah. first three letters and then birth month uh January, so it's Way, so it's Patway. Patway. Um, or I could go Pawway, but I kind of at first I was like no nah, Patway sounds dumb, but I kind of like Patway better than Pawway, but um, so Patway, and originally when I first read this, I was like, "Ah, writing—that'll be easy. Like that's my like favorite hobby or whatever." And then I heard yours, Thomas, and I'm like, "No, oh, no, <laughs> I, can't, I can't do, ah! I can't do that because he already did it." Oh, <laughs> So, um, my but I have a good fallback, and that is because um, Tolkis didn't get like any love on that podcast. <laughs> oh uh, no. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, Did it we forget Pat, him? No, no. You guys talked about him, but he was like the bro Valar. And oh, so okay. yeah. I'm going to be his bro. I'm, I'm like Patway <laughs> Lord of sport and games. And so, nice. cause I, I love, you know, I love football. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love swimming. You know, I love all I, the Olympic sports. Um, if I, if I have a choice of what I want to watch on TV, but half the time these days, it's a sporting event. And then I love participating. I enjoy playing in sports and I like playing games, like at board games and, and all kinds of that sort of stuff. So like, that's, that's why Tolkis never shows up until the very end because we're always engaged in some sort of sporting activity and he gets distracted and doesn't realize he needs to go beat the doors down (laughs) and drag Melkor out. (laughs) Nice. That's That's really cool. Tolkis' bro, Patway. (laughs) Patway.
0: No, I like that. So, yeah, um, we are going to continue these Silmarillion discussions and I guess I should have said this closer to the beginning, but, like, guys... Yeah, obviously, we're going to be spoiling a lot of stuff and there's a lot of cool things in the Silmarillion. So if if you want to read along with us, please do, because we we don't want to like like ruin some really cool moments that are in the Silmarillion for you guys. So read along while we've while or come back later and listen to these podcast episodes, because, you know. Uh, there there are some things that I'm glad I didn't know about when I read The Silmarillion for the first time because they are, there are some really epic moments in this book. And I want to thank you, uh, Jeff, for collecting all this feedback. We have a lot of feedback to uh, talk about from uh, our listeners over the last few episodes. So um, our first bit of feedback is from our episode on the 1977 Rankin-Bass Hobbit movie. Uh, uh, Paul Leone writes, This was so much fun. The Rankin-Bass movies were how I first came across Tolkien. I also had the LP from Return of the King, if I remember right. So they hold a special place in my heart, even if there are some questionable choices in both of them. And also SQPN's own Catherine Laffrey says, My childhood jump into Tolkien. See, a lot of people have said that. I've Hmm. noticed ever since we recorded that episode, people have told me that, oh yeah, it was, it was the the Rankin-Bass movies that first introduced me to it. I was like, wow, okay. Like there, there's definitely more people in that category than I thought. Um, We also have another bit of feedback on that episode. Uh, This one is from, XSC three home of hero quest fans. He writes the fell in the fellowship of the ring. The Balrog is described as having the appearance of wings twice. Uh, I'll get back to that later. (laughs) Um, I misremembered that they sang the road goes ever on. It's not the same lyrics as in the book, the Hobbit movie and the return of the King are far, far superior to the theatrical Lord of the Rings animated film although it influenced the Peter Jackson version in several places. Also other than the hilarious dinner party in the first movie, the Peter Jackson treatments of the Hobbit were inferior to this animated treatment. Um, I think what he's mentioning about, we did mention the Balrog in the uh, animated Lord of the Rings, not having wings and that being more book accurate. The book is kind of ambiguous, It mentions that the the Balrog seems to have wings, but it's right. It's kind of ambiguous. It's sort
2: of like in the the within the shadow and fire. It almost seemed to have wings or right. uh, But it's yeah, it's it doesn't say, yeah, it has bat wings (laughs) or anything like that. There's nothing clear.
0: I, I would just say that if if they have wings and can fly, which isn't necessarily, you know, like ostriches have wings and they can't fly. So but if Balrogs have wings and can fly, why do they always die by falling into pits? (laughs) You know, like the the Balrog in Moria falls into a pit and dies. And one in the Silmarillion falls off a pinnacle and dies. So if they have wings, they definitely can't fly. So I I would just include that as a as a caveat. Um, And yeah, yeah. I would definitely say like uh, I, I did like the animated Lord of the Rings movie and we, we will get to reviewing that on the the show eventually. But I know some people, yeah, like the the more hand-drawn, you know, like animated style of the uh, the Hobbit and then the Return of the King movies. Um, but we have uh, even more feedback. Uh, our episode on the One Ring, Lord Wife writes... This was interesting. Thank you. Also, first. <laughs> why, do, why do people do that? Whatever, like they are the first comment or well, something.
1: She wanted to be the one, the one commenter to rule, them, rule all. them all. Yeah, I'm glad you
0: guys found that interesting, though, because uh, I, it was a long time in coming. That we should have talked about the One Ring long before, but I'm glad we finally got to it. And on our most recent episode on Elves and Dwarves, uh, John Henry on Discord writes... This show was just a delight today. Thanks. The insight about the free peoples and their attachments to honor, power, wealth, and pleasure was just, and then he includes a mind-blown emoji, also loved the notes about how the enemy's power is made manifest in divisions. And yeah, um, kudos to Mike Schramm for coming up with the whole uh, free peoples being attached to the different uh, inferior goods of uh, wealth power pleasure and honor that was that was oh. really cool yeah. and uh, uh I believe actually he either has written or will write a post on that for the voyage comics blog um if he has I'll try to include it in the show notes um and Paul Leone writes on YouTube great episode as always as far as future topics go I'd love to see you guys cover the nature of middle earth or the Athrabeth Finrod ah uh, Andreth. Now that is something from the history of Middle Earth. That's a deep cut. But yeah, I have not read that one yet. I, I know, Paul. You keep telling me to read uh, the <laughs> Finrod and Andreth thing. And I, I promise, Paul, I will get to it eventually. But yeah, and, um it yeah. Yeah, you know, for,
1: our, for our listeners who may not know as well, like the, the history of Middle Earth are like they're like partially completed. Kind of collected things. So it's like n- not as, cl- not as, I guess, clean and not as, you know, as the Silmarillion is. These were more, uh, and some of them are, some of the things in the history of Middle Earth are like the other versions of what we see in the Silmarillion or other, like, you know, there's, or expanded things. Like there are some chapters in the Silmarillion. Like I'm, I can't, I don't know the chapter of the film offhand, but it's the one where, uh, Tour Tournbar is coming into the city mm-hmm. and, in the Silmarillion, it's not very, it's not as descriptive as you, but if you go into the history of Middle Earth, um, I've listened to like some, I've seen some descriptions of it, like there's just so much more in there. So it's like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, but it for, you know, for one reason or another, it didn't make the, you know, those, those specific lines didn't make the cut into the Silmarillion. So just for, you know, to clarify it for anyone who kind of wasn't sure what we were talking about, it's right. so you kind of think of it as like the, the, uh, First drafts you know, almost. first first drafts that we're kind of you know, that we can get to read and have fun,
0: have fun with, um,
1: but not, you know, not the canon as
0: it were. But from what I understand, the dialogue of Finrod and Andreth is actually very interesting because Tolkien gets into a lot of philosophical and theological, you know, exposition on kind of the nature of elves and men and the sort of theological status of death you know what it means you know it, it's theological implications and also the theological implications of the elves apparent deathlessness um so yeah we we should eventually get to that maybe when they release that section um in the new editions that would be nice but yeah but before we close out did you guys have any final thoughts on the ainu Lindeley or the valaquenta
1: the only thing I want to say is I, I I did have to correct myself. I was talking about the Eagles being Maiar, and they're, from what I, I did, a quick Google and quick web search. They're not. They were create, uh, creations of Manway. So
0: I want to oh. go back
1: and correct myself there. Um, I always thought there was, was a
0: debate about that.
1: There like, could be. Yeah, there yeah. could be. At least from what I was seeing, reading on some wikis, it was uh, that they were creations of Manway. But there's, there's question marks about
2: Therondor in particular as to whether or not he was a Myar or not. But the rest of them are pretty much like, by the time you get to the Lord of the Rings, you know, Gwe here as the Lord and the, and the ones that Gandalf interacts with, they're all very much um, still servants of Manway. But yeah. um, Well, in
1: in my memory, I was thinking that the, the, like whatever the first Eagle was, was a Myar, kind of like Ungoliant was a Myar. Um, who took spider form and then, you know, her descendants were ended up being Shelob and, and, you know, the other like sentient spiders on middle earth yeah. or, uh, you know, in the world. So I was kind of thinking of it that same way, but really? just wanted to correct myself for <laughs> anyone comes at me
0: for it. <laughs> yeah. The, the status of talking animals and what they're, what they are supposed to be. Is a bit ambiguous in Tolkien because, you yes. know, like, I'm like, you know, well, what is who on? He's called the Hound of the Valar. But I'm like, is, is he a Maiar? I mean, he can talk and he's <laughs> intelligent. But, you know, not all talking animals in Tolkien are Myar. It's very confusing, but we should do a whole episode on the talking animals talking of Middle Earth.
2: Talking animals. <laughs> yeah,
0: that would be pretty interesting. We could talk about that fox. That that Caitlin was talking about on Twitter the other day from the Fellowship of the Ring, that random scene where that fox yeah. sees the hobbit sleeping and is like, "Huh, what's going on here? That, it's, that's it's pretty imp- weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's implied the fox can talk. So I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> but in any case, um, yeah, Pat, did you have any uh, final thoughts on the opening bits of the Silmarillion?
2: Um, I like the Valenquenta because it kind of goes through the first theme. Of what you get in the and I'm never going to be able to say it correctly. That Iluindel, uh in ah, dad comment. <laughs> I know yeah. yeah, I know Lindale. I, Lindelay. I, I Lindelay. Lindelay. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Anyway, fast. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but they go through. They kind of go through the sort of the the opening. I guess theme where they're sort of creating and then you get the, the um, Melchor is the kid who's knocking over all the stuff and you sort of, he's like a mountain that's going around wrecking things. And, um, you know, it's sort of this quote unquote forced war that the elves only really know about because the, uh, Valar told them. Um, mm. and I will say it, it, did. It caused a lot of confusion in my mind about the ages of the world in the themes because they don't like the th- the third theme is effectively the first and second ages because it's the ages after the trees it's the ages under the sun right whereas like the themes are like the creation and then the lamps and then you have um the trees and the sun after that and so you have like the lamps and the trees and then the sun and sort of like uh- I got mixed up real bad, like as to what which what the ages meant, and so I try and correlate them to the themes now. It works better for me. So if you if you hear me misterming things in terms of ages, that's why. Mm. <laughs> as we go forward,
0: yeah, we we will see the the ages of the lamps. I think very soon, you know, and then followed by the the two trees, which we've seen in the rings of power. And then, you know, later the ages of the site. because technically what we, we seem to use this interchangeably, like we, we say the first age and what we what we usually mean by that when we say it is everything from like. The creation to the fall of Morgoth, but really the first age, what is meant by that is the first age of the sun, mm-hmm. which is everything from the death of the two trees to the fall of Morgoth. So it can get pretty confusing. You know, but uh, uh, Caitlin's website, Tea with Tolkien, or Tolkien Gateway, can help you guys with that. And please follow along with us. If you're reading The Silmarillion for the first time, I envy you. <laughs> or maybe not.
1: Or, or maybe not. <laughs> if you're reading it for the second or third time, then I. Then you're kind of getting things.
0: Yeah. But yeah, thanks for joining us, everybody, on this adventure. And we we hope to do, you know, more of these throughout the coming year. But that's it for this episode of The Secrets of Middle-Earth. But before we go, we'd like to take a brief moment to thank our patrons who make this all possible, including Philip G., Danny L., Joshua G., Sean E., and Connie Z. Their generous donations help us to continue to create The Secrets of Middle-Earth and all of the shows here at StarQuest, and you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. And now we'd love to hear from you, all our listeners. Are you excited for our Silmarillion Deep Dive series? Will you be following along? And if so, will this be your first time reading The Silmarillion? What are your thoughts on both the Ainu Lindeley and the Valaquenta? You can let us know at sqpn.com slash Earth, or on our Facebook page or on Twitter or by sending us an email at middleearth at sqpn.com, or by leaving a comment on our YouTube channel, or by visiting the channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash discord. And be sure to join us next time for another discussion of the amazing works of J.R.R. Tolkien. But until then, thank you, Patrick, for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle Earth. You're very welcome. It's always a lot of fun. And Jeff Hecker, thank you as well. Thank you, Thomas.
1: I would have tried to sing it, but nobody wants to hear that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I am Thomas Salerno. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Middle Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy: The Secrets of Sacred Art. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found, or at StarQuest.fm/slash Art.